Well, Ginny, if you can hear me, thank you so very much. Overcoming the world. Isn't that great? Well, it's with a great deal of joy that Kathy and I once again are able to be with you, to greet you as the friends that you are, and to share something from the Word of God. And as is usually the case, I have looked to the Lord for the message that I should bring this morning. And I feel especially blessed as the message I had in mind was confirmed a number of times, even in the song that was just sung. On Wednesday of this past week, it was in our morning prayer time, and I was reading a little booklet which focused on the text that I have for today. Needless to say, I was very happy for that affirmation. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, please? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. And beginning to read at verse 9 and continuing through verse 21. Matthew's Gospel, reading at verse 9. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable, then, is a man than a sheep. So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and, it shall pro and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles." He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed, he will not break off. And a smoldering wick, he will not put out until he heads justice, leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. May we pray together. Father, we thank you for a compassionate, loving Lord Jesus Christ. And we bow in your presence today, Father, to say thank you again. Thank you for this section of your word. Bless it to us as we think about it. And Father, may it suit a blessing to us all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you still have your Bibles open, I want you to just look again at verse 20. 
And I want you to think about what is being said there. Just think about it just for a few moments. And the particular words I'm thinking of are bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. When I read these things, uh, just this past Wednesday, these verses, I thought of a man with an advanced case of prostate cancer. Then I thought of a former student of mine who has a very serious cancer in connection with his kidneys. A dear lady we know with a blockage of her carotids. And I think of a missionary in India who lost their son to rabies a few years ago, all bruised and battered reeds. Why does the Bible contain so many stories of hurting people? Why does it present to us so many cases of bruised reeds? Why do we read account after account of Jesus meeting people with problems? And I believe their purpose is to tell us that Jesus still cares for hurting people. This is not just for a historical review of what happened 2,000 years ago. This is very relevant for us today. When we read stories of Jesus and Bruce reads, please know that you are loved and encouraged to come away full of hope. In our passage for today, there's a man with a shriveled hand. And verse 15 reminds us that there were many people who were healed. In other passages in the scripture, we read of the weary and heavy laden. Martha and the widow of Nain bereaved people of mothers weeping at the slaughter of their children near Bethlehem. A young couple in Cana deeply embarrassed, an invalid of 38 years who had no one to help him, terrified disciples in a storm and their boat sinking, the loneliness and feelings of isolation of a woman at a well in Samaria. John the Baptist, deeply confused about the Messiahship of Jesus. The lost hope of two disciples going to Emmaus. And there are so many more. All reflecting the deep needs of people. Bruised reeds. Bruised reeds. Though their situations vary, their condition doesn't. They have nowhere to turn. And on their lips, it seems to me, is a desperate prayer. And in their hearts, there is that deep bruise that has brought so much pain and which it seems will never go away. Yet without exception, in the Bible, at the right time, each of these people have a satisfying, fulfilling never to be forgotten encounter with the Savior. The one who comes into people's lives when everyone else, it seems, would step out. 
I came across a very disturbing statistic. 80% of all disabled people are divorced after the disability has come. 80%. Do you know anybody who's a bruised reed? You know anybody? Perhaps one is your neighbor. Or perhaps there's someone here in this gathering this morning. Maybe someone in your family. Or perhaps, perhaps you yourself are a bruised reed. Is there anything more frail, fragile than a bruised reed? As we look at bruised reeds at the water's edge, we see a once slender and tall stalk, now bowed and bent, dying. I met a smoldering wick several years ago. His name was Robert. And at the age of 24, his life was bright and shining. He had just become a believer and was engaged to be married. But his light would soon go out. He had Lou Gehrig's disease. And so he lay in bed, eyes closed, motionless. His life was maintained by a respirator, and he was fed by another tube into his stomach. And every 15 minutes or so, someone came into his room and suctioned out his mouth because he couldn't swallow. And the sign on the wall said, talk to Robert. And if you wanted a response, ask questions that could be answered with a yes or with a no. And to say yes, Robert would move his lower lip. To say no, he would remain motionless. And when I saw Robert, even the movement of his lower lip was almost gone. Why did Robert remain alive? Robert had been told what would likely happen to him. And so he requested that he be kept on life support systems until his parents would come to know the Lord. The day after I saw Robert, I met his father. We had coffee at a McDonald's in one of the shopping centers in Bellevue, Washington. And after introducing ourselves, he asked me this very interesting question. He says, Hugo, you've heard the term born again, haven't you? I sure would like it if you could tell me what that means. And so I had the privilege of telling him the best I knew how. And how he, how he himself might be born again, born from above. And I wish I could tell you that Robert's dad came to know the Lord that day, but I can't. We agreed to stay in touch, and to some degree we have. Bruised reeds. Smoldering wicks. The bruised reed and smoldering wicks 
society knows what to do with them, the world has no place for such as these. And the world breaks one off, and the world snuffs one out. But I want you to listen again carefully, if you haven't seen this before, in that verse 20. A bruised reed, he will not break. Did you notice that? And a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. He won't do it. And our passage today, again, I say, is about a bruised reed. It's a story about a man with a shrunken, tiny, shriveled hand. It's withered. There's been a lot of muscular atrophy in that hand. He's disabled. There is an apocryphal gospel, the gospel according to the Hebrews, that states that this man was a stonemason and who had pleaded with Jesus to heal him so that he would not spend his life as a beggar. And Luke's gospel reminds us it's his right hand. But he's bruised in another way. The scribes and the Pharisees use him as a pawn in an effort to accuse Jesus of being a lawbreaker and thereby seek to destroy him. And I'm sure this disabled man must have been bewildered by these people who seem so pious and so zealous for God. But they don't seem to be interested in the welfare of a bruised reed. How would you like to be a pawn? To be used? And the scribes and the Pharisees, you will remember, were committed to keeping the law and committed to keeping these 631 other rules and regulations that had been built up as a fence, kind of a fence around the, around the law. These extra rules were called the Mishnah. And they reasoned that if they kept these rules and regulations, they would end up keeping the basic Ten Commandments, and God would be pleased. And then they would receive God's blessing. There were a lot of rules concerning the Sabbath. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 speaks of a Sabbath day's journey. And that was about 2,000 yards, a little over a mile. A person could not lift anything heavier than two dried figs. When we were in Jerusalem a number of years ago, Kathleen was admonished from taking notes on Saturday. But it was all right for people on that same Saturday, to carry their tables and containers that held the Torah to the wailing wall. Another of the rules regarding the Sabbath was that only if a man's life was in danger would it be permissible to try to heal him. It was clearly laid down that steps could be taken to keep a man from getting worse, but not to make him better. So a plain bandage could be put on a wound, but not a medicated bandage. 
such was the case in Israel at this time. Now, the man's life in our story was clearly not in danger of his life. Dare I say, all he had was a shriveled hand. Probably couldn't go to work. But he could wait, couldn't he? Or could he? Healing could be put off. That sounds reasonable, just for one day. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? The Pharisees asked. Never once did they ask, is it kind? Is it good? All they could ask was that cold. Is it lawful? Is it lawful? So what's Jesus going to do? And the Lord of the Sabbath tells the man to stand up before the people in the synagogue on that occasion as if to say, look at him. Look at his hand. He's a bruised reed. Think what it must be to be disabled. Doesn't his condition awaken any compassion in you at all? And then Jesus tells him a little story. Don't you love Jesus? He tells him about a story about a sheep in verse 11 that fell in the pit on the Sabbath. Would they leave it there overnight until the next day? You know, just one night, right? That's all. Not two nights, one. Jesus says, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Therefore, conclusion, therefore it is good to heal on the Sabbath. Now, if on the Sabbath doing good to an animal is allowed, then all the more is it right and proper on that day to show kindness to man, man made in the image of God. Jesus committed to doing good, committed to not breaking bruised reeds, tells the man to stretch forth his hand, and the text says it was completely healed, just as sound as the other hand. No more treatments. No more checkups necessary. No more need to check with the HMO. You know, he's able to go to work next morning. Why didn't Jesus wait until the next day to heal this man? Wouldn't that have been best for everybody? There would be no controversy. You know. It would have satisfied the Pharisees, I suppose, if they could be satisfied at, at all. And besides, a man, again, I say, would have been healed in only one more day. But for Jesus to have waited until the following day would have been tantamount to saying that doing good on the Sabbath is wrong. And Jesus will not say that. It's always right to do good. 
It is evil to withhold good, the good that we can do now. And so I say, if you have the opportunity to do good, do it now. If there's a depressed person you can encourage, do it now. If there's a disabled person you can, and you can help in some way, do it now. And a whole number of situations, I would end up saying, do it now. Do it now. Is there sin in your life that you need to renounce? I'll do that now too. Do it now. And for his, this deed of doing good, we read in verse 14 that the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might destroy or kill Jesus. Great attitude on the Sabbath, right? They could have waited until Monday. I'm being cynical. I know. Look at verse 15. Does Jesus stop doing good because he's aware of the murderous intent of the Pharisees? No. Not at all. He healed all the sick of those who were following him and bruised reeds love Jesus. And then in verse 16, he says, the text says something strange. The people are not to tell who Jesus is because this was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Well, we still might ask, why not tell of Jesus' wonderful deeds? And we have no answer except the text refers us to the prophecy of Isaiah. So what do we learn from that prophecy? We learn from verses 18 and 19 that Jesus is a servant. He's a servant loved by God, a servant who has God's spirit, a servant who would not shout or quarrel or parade his own great deeds. He is not going to stand up before crowds and put out his chest and say, look at me, you see what I did? You know what I just did? Remember that guy with the shriveled hand? I healed him. That's not Jesus. A servant, furthermore, does what his master tells him to do, and a servant finds great satisfaction in doing the will of his master. And this servant is gentle and humble in heart. We need to spend a little more time again on verse 20. And I believe that we need to ask ourselves some tough questions about this verse. Does, verse, does this verse tell us, only tell us, what Jesus will not do? That is, he will not break a bruised reed. Does it only tell us what he will not do? Does this verse suggest that he looks at us in our bruised condition and he says, well, too bad, I'm sorry, but then leaves you alone. Doesn't break you, but he leaves you alone. He's not going to make our condition worse. He's just not going to do anything. Is that what this verse is saying? We all know that that's not the Jesus that we know. Because when we ask questions like that, 
we all know that they don't feel right and seem contrary to the Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. So what is the text saying in verse 20? Now, if you will pardon a very short lesson in grammar. The words of verse 20 belong to a figure of speech called litotes. L-I-T-O-T-E-S. And this figure of speech is an understatement, saying less than what is meant, and frequently using the negative. I trust this example will help clear this up. One could do worse than voting for John Doe. This means, yes, you, you could do worse, but you ought to vote for John Doe. You see how that works? Getting back to our text, of course Jesus will not break a bruised reed. He will do more. He will treat every bruised reed with profound and genuine sympathy, with tender concern. He will give strength to the weak. He will heal the sick. He will seek and save tax collectors and sinners, comfort mourners, cheer the fearful, reassure doubters, feed the hungry, grant pardon to those who repent of their sins. He's God's chosen servant, and that's what he does. But there's more. The last line of verse 20 tells us that he will never stop doing this until he leads justice on to victory. And what this means is that he will not stop until sin and all of its consequences will have been forever removed from God's redeemed universe. This means that there will be a time, no more bruised reeds, no more smoldering wicks. The book of Revelation reminds us that even the tears will be wiped from our eyes. That'll be a great big Kleenex, won't it? Just uh, wipe those eyes clear of the tears. I find it very interesting that the bruised reed is the emblem of Charles Colson's prison fellowship. And that Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 3, which mentions this very same verse, is Colson's life verse. What can be done about bruised reeds and smoldering wicks in our day? Chuck us shows us one way. By going to the bruised reeds and prisons throughout the country. By sharing with them the love of God from the scriptures and also from acts of personal kindness. In the case of the deeply bruised Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, when he speaks of the fears within and the fears without, God used a man. And we read that wonderful verse, but God, who comforts the depressed, comforted me by the coming of Titus. But God, who comforts the depressed, how does he, how does he do it? He does it through people. That's the normative way in which God works. He works through people. And uh, Titus and Barnabas, two of my favorite characters in the, 
in the scriptures. We all need a Titus in our life. And it's also great to be a Titus yourself. To help someone who is a bruised reed. In the case of the bereaved, I think of what the Lord did for my mother. A week or two after my father died, the Lord allowed my mother to lead another lady to the Lord. And for months and months, this new believer phoned my mother every day. She had questions about the scripture. And who she, could she call? She didn't know anybody. She knew my mother, so she called my mother. And this was a, just a great blessing to her that this woman was uh, so interested in the scriptures. This was a joy to her and helped her in her bereavement. When it came time for my mother to die, now just a smoldering wick, and she knew it, she asked me to read Psalm 25. And the psalm begins, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. And quite a number of times at her request, I had read this and reread it. And it was a blessing, it seems, every time. How does the Lord deal with bruised reeds and smoldering wicks? And I believe the normative way, as I already mentioned, the way that most of us observe is that bruised reeds and smoldering wicks are helped by other believers. And when I say other believers, I do not mean just those who have the title pastor or elder, but plain vanilla Christians. You know what a vanilla Christian is, don't you? I think you do. That's just the old, ordinary, everyday, every garden variety Christian. You have a great ministry because there's a lot of bruised reeds out there. These are Christians who are not too busy to caress the hurts of a bruised person. These are people who genuinely care for others. Often, those believers who help others are themselves experiencing deep bruising. Remember Kathleen and I listening to Johnny Erickson. And she said something, I think, very profound. She says, the stretched, broken heart has now a greater capacity to contain God. We know, don't we, that God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Question, what should we do in the case of a newly divorced person who comes to our church. I suggest that we need, first of all, not to break the bruised reed by a lot of important, unimportant and curiosity questions. And secondly, we must genuinely love them. Let me give you a few, just two Bible verses without comment. 
Romans 12, 13. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. In closing, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. There's one last scene before we close that we must include as we look at Jesus. The one who would not break a bruised reed was himself bruised. Right? We read in the book of Isaiah that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Wounded, bruised, chastised, chastised, striped. The one who would not snuff out the smoldering wick was himself put to death. And why was Jesus bruised? For my sins. For your sins. If he is not bruised and wounded, then I am in mortal danger of my smoldering wick going out and my being in complete darkness forever. But he was bruised. So that instead of a smoldering wick, I might have eternal life. And I'd like to say in closing, is there someone here today who would like to say thank you to the Lord for his being bruised for him or for her? Just think about that. Would you like to say thank you? And I'd like to close in prayer right now, and if there's someone who would like to say thank you, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. A lot of hands. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, yes, we do say thank you. How ungrateful we would be not to say thank you. Lord, thank you for loving bruised reeds. And some bruised reeds are not very pretty. They have been polluted by a life of sin. And Father, we, uh, we thank you that you care for them as well. Thank you, Father, for these uh, dear people who raised their hands, many of them. Father, would you uh, come into their lives in a very special, special way today. 
And for any here who are bruised themselves, we pray, Lord, that they would take courage and hope from a God who said he will not break nor snuff out. Dismiss us with your blessing, dear Father. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.